Today is January 8th, 2017. Uh, the title of today's message is Stand By Me. Yeah. Stand By Me. If you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 3. 1 Peter 1, and we're going to start in verse 3. I think we've warmed up here, so we're going to keep the fire going. I think y'all drained all the coffee, so that's your only option anyway. So here we go. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Are you there? We're there. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, everybody say great mercy. Great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade kept in heaven for you who through faith you who are through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time verse 6 in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while everybody say a little while, little while. you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials um those of you who are in the Acts class, those of you who are here in this church, you understand that what we are committing to as pastors and anyone who gets up in front of you, we're committing to share with you things that we have actually interacted with in the scripture this past week that has met with our actual, personal, real life experiences. Verse 6 has been speaking to me this week. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Anybody had to suffer some trials lately? Anybody going through anything? All right. Verse 7. These have come so that your faith, your faith of greater worth than gold, the gold that perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Where is He being revealed? He's, be he's being revealed in our lives through the trials, through the refinement that's going on. He is being revealed through us. Let's turn to James chapter 1. We're close. James chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 2. <laughs> James chapter 1 and verse 2. It says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, Whenever you face trials of many kinds, we've heard this, we are familiar with this scripture, you can quote it, sometimes you try to encourage yourself when things are going on, and the Bible says, consider it pure joy. Pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, everybody say, I know, that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'd like to show you a little slide that we have here that will help us. A cycle of Christian growth. Okay, what we have here is we'll start off there with the trials. That we're supposed to count it pure joy that we're involved in trials. You're, I'm already convicted, right? As I start thinking through this process, I can count to you. Uh, it's, it's almost innumerable how many times I've been in a trial and my first response is not, I'm going to count this pure joy. I'm so glad that I'm failing at everything possible right now. <laughs> so excited that every detail seems to be overwhelming me. Praise God. Right? I have to be honest with you. That is not the way I want to respond. 
And yet this is exactly what's where we're supposed to start in our cycle of Christian growth. The more difficult it is, the more we have an opportunity to praise Him in the midst of our difficulty. Because it does what? Because we know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. How many of you want to get perseverance? Amen. Then your faith has to be tested. Right, I grew up in the, in the kind of church that would say, they were like, don't pray for patience. Don't pray for perseverance. Why? Because it costs you something to get it. Now, the truth is, is we should all be praying for those things. We should all be expecting it. We should be desiring it with all that's within us because it is the only way that we can grow. There is no other way. So that the, the, we count it pure joy in our trials and our tests because we know that the testing of our faith, it develops perseverance. Perseverance must complete its work. Why? So that we can be mature and complete. If I start off the conversation and say, how many of you want to be mature this morning? Oh, yeah, me, yeah. This is the cycle. Can I encourage you right now? How many times you go around this cycle here will determine actually whether you're mature or complete or not. Many, many people. Many people. We're going to talk about many people and then we're going to talk about us. Many people decide that there's only so many times they want to go around this cycle. Because you know what happens? You're mature, you're complete... Let's just think about for a second that you get to, hey man, I think I learned that lesson. The Lord approves of me. I have completed this lesson. And then you know what happens? You go right back into trials. Why? Because you're supposed to be ever growing. You're supposed to be adding to your faith. You're supposed to be continually seeking these things out in your life. And you know what some people do? Yeah, I've had enough. I am mature enough. Now, now I don't know that they would say these things externally. I don't know that it would come out of their mouth just the way that I said it, but their actions show, yeah, I've just had enough. I, I think I'm at a point in my life where I should be able to kind of put it on autopilot. We're going to cruise around for a little while. We're going to settle down because I have received and I've achieved maturity enough. We can never stop going through this cycle until we are completed and we are standing before him that's when this cycle can end in your life that's when this cycle can end in my life let's turn to first peter chapter 2 verse 2 like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk we've we've got a lot of mamas in the house we've got folks with young babies Beautiful little babies. We've got babies on the way. Amen. This makes sense to us. This, is, this actually fits our church quite well. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that it, by it you may grow up in your salvation. Turn to your neighbor and say, grow up. We've got to grow, grow up, man. It's time for us to continue to grow up. It's one thing when we look at a, when we look at a, uh, a cycle of Christian growth. And we're like, yeah, I know, boy, some people, <laughs> some people, they like to stop and they don't like to keep going around in this cycle. Whew, those people over there somewhere. I mean, there are some folks that they don't, they stay babies. They just stay childish in their walk forever. Man, those people. Are there errors in, in your life where you've just decided, I'm mature enough? 
I can handle this enough. I'm clearly in the faith. I'm clearly in the house of God. You know what? I'm just tired of having to deal with that. So I'm just going to kind of push pause on this cycle in this area of my life. This area? Untouchable. we're, We're just done. We're going to call that one complete, check the box, be done with that. Yeah, that's the dangerous part. We want to push pause on this. We don't want to do this. Our natural selves... The part that's been redeemed by God, we know and we desire this. We go after it. We want it. But if you allow yourself to become complacent, you know what you do? You push pause on this cycle. You don't count it joy that there's trials in your life. You don't want your faith tested because what do you want? You want the affirmation that your faith is already wonderful. Perhaps this is what causes us to have itching ears where we want to run to people who are already telling us we're the champion that we always thought we were. Instead of going, Lord, I know that I must have my faith tested. Sam um, gave us an inspired word this morning, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, I think it was, where it's gonna be, uh, what we're building with is going to be tested by fire. I would like for my building products to be tested now. I want the Lord to, sh- to, to test my faith now because then I at least have a chance to redo it. Oh, that was terrible. I did an awful job at that. Golly, I failed my friends, I failed my family, I failed everybody. Well, Lord, thank you that you're still with me. And I have another day and your mercies are made new every morning. I'm just going to go right back at it. <laughs> wait, wait, I'm going to show perseverance here. I'm not going to let my failures derail me. I'm not going to let my successes cause me to be complacent. I'm going to have perseverance in this. As we go through, turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. Starting in verse 11. We have much more to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. (laughs) Have you ever tried to explain something to somebody and they're just slow to learn? Just, I can't say it any more plain than I just did, and you're still staring at me with a blank stare. Right? How many times have we been the one that was just with the stare? Yeah, the, I've, I've been on both ends of that. I, I've been on the one going, this, I can't make this any more clear. Um, yeah, I don't get it. More often than not, though, I like to put myself in that position in the storyline, but more often than not, I'm the one going, yeah, I don't get it. I don't actually get what the Lord is doing here. I'm, I'm trying. I'm just really, really slow to learn at times. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. It's interesting, the last verse we read, the milk was a good thing. It was showing purity. It was showing that we were craving and that we were immature trying to grow. When we're trying to be mature, the milk is used as a, as a confirmation of our lack of maturity, right? You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, one of my favorite phrases in the whole Bible, who by constant use, we're going to talk about constant use later in in today's message, but they've by constant use trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You would think that would be really easy, wouldn't you? When we're thinking about it conceptually, we're like, good is over here and bad is over here. Got it. P 
piece of cake. In your life, though, do I make this decision because is this the Lord or is this the devil? Um, again, if you're conceptually thinking, that's the easiest thing in the world. I've had points in my life where I went, I don't know if this is the Lord or not. Really? Really? Perhaps if I had been in constant use of the word more, those things would become clear to me easier. Right? Keep going here. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. It's time for us to leave some of these elementary things. And by the way, if you've not been through our discipleship helps, I know many of us went through it in the last, in, in 2016. We actually had six weeks worth of teaching based out of this verse right here. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12 since we're right here in Hebrews. Amen. Just laying some groundwork. Y'all with me? Yeah. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 7. If, if you're like me when you hear the address of this verse, it, it already starts preaching to me before I turn to the page. It's already wearing on me. I, I've, I've known I've had to go to this well many times and go, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, you know, counting it pure joy in all the trials and tests that I'm in. This was one I'm also supposed to be doing. It says this, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, <laughs> and everyone undergoes discipline. I'm going to finish the thought here in just a second. We don't actually believe that everyone undergoes discipline. We want to somehow count it as someone else has to go through it. But if I go through it, you just don't understand. Everyone, everyone, there's not a human being alive that is actually a son of God that is allowed to skip discipline. He loves us so much, He will discipline us. Can I tell you that the Lord has been disciplining me lately? Me too. It hurts. Look at this. <laughs> Verse 8, If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Why is it that we want to run away from discipline then? It's actually the mark that proves we're really His children. It's the proof that we are, in fact, in the kingdom, is the discipline that we receive from the Lord. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? And live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. They did, did as good as they could. There are times when I have gone way too easy on my kids. There are times when I have crushed them over the smallest things that really could have, could have been handled with a comment. Doing the best that I can. I'm the representative of God to my kids. Think about, but how much more God disciplines us for our good. There's no, there's no possibility that what he's going to do is not the appropriate level of discipline. Lord, you don't have to do that. That was, that was really harsh from the Lord. Really? That's exactly what you needed. It's exactly what you needed. That we may share in His holiness. Our whole time here this morning, pointing towards holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Let me encourage you, parents. If you are disciplining your child and it does not hurt them, then you haven't yet disciplined them. Amen. That's a good word. Amen. Wow. 
It's true. If you are trying to discipline a child in a way that doesn't actually bring hurt to them, doesn't actually get their attention, you go to your room where you have seven video game systems, surround sound, a small mini fridge, and your cozy slippers. Please go to your room. You're punished. (laughs) Oh, no, don't send me to the briar patch. (laughs) Don't throw me in there. That's terrible. Well done, Mom. Well done, Dad. That, that's like parenting 101. You got, you got to get their attention. If it's not hurting, it's not discipline. So how about we understand that this is also spiritual discipline 101. We want God to do things and reform us in the most calm and peaceful and gentle and never actually impacting our life. We want it to be so gentle and kind as, the, as, a, as a gentle breeze on a hot day. That, Lord, even your, your testing and your discipline is so refreshing. <laughs> then it's not discipline. Then he's encouraging you. He may be doing a lot of other things. But in that moment, my friend, he's not disciplining you. No discipline seems pleasant in the time, but painful. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Later on, however. Later on. Everybody say later on. You know that even in the moment, the discipline isn't designed to produce greatness in that moment? It's designed for you to sit and think on it. I remember as a kid, um, my dad was a a football coach and and very aggressive and a lot of things. And I really, I thought my dad had like the biggest biceps in the universe, especially when he was spanking me. (laughs) I was like, oh my God. Still stings. I could still remember some of the stings, and I couldn't hardly sit down for 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 a while after my dad was uh, finished blessing me with discipline. It's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. It puts your heart in right order with God. Righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms. We're quoting from the Older Testament here. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Hey, be encouraged, my friends. Strengthen yourself with the idea that God disciplines you because He actually cares about you. Strengthen your your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. I've also had it as a parent where I've spanked a child and you would have thought that I had just killed them. I remember, especially when the kids were young, I mean, we're talking like diaper stage. Pop them on that diaper hard enough where like, you know, lift them up off the ground a little bit. Wanted them to know that it was there, and I knew that they had cushion. Fall out, right? Just fall out on the ground. And what do you do as a parent? (laughs) With, (laughs) With teeth clenched, Get up now. It's amazing. There's, you can have intensity because of volume, right? There's nothing quite like a mom or dad that just goes, if you don't stop now, I'm not even going to open up my teeth. I will destroy you. <laughs> if you're not a parent yet, just log these things in, write them down. They will come about, I assure you. 
you're embarrassing me. You need to be quiet. Right. Intensity. We're going to have an intense day today, man. Amen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I like it when y'all are with me. I like it that we can laugh in the presence of God and while he's teaching us, while he's instructing us, while he's disciplining us. Ephesians 4.11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That sounds like maturity and completeness to me. Can you, can you put back the, uh, the slide there for me? Okay, so we've, we've talked through this for the last few minutes, right? We should be joyous in our trials. Does anybody refute that that should be the case? Anybody disagree with that? Okay, we know that it should be the case, whether we do it or not, well, right? The testing of our faith, it develops perseverance so that we can be mature and complete. Is there anybody in the room right now, we've been talking just for a few minutes, anybody that disagrees with the Christian cycle of, the cycle of Christian growth as presented on the board? Does anybody disagree? No. So we all agree then? Does everybody agree? Put your right hand up in there. Say, I agree. Uh, while your right hand is up, go ahead and leave it up. Do, do you commit to doing this? Yes. Now, now, come on. Do you really actually commit? Yes. This stuff is hard to do. Uh, turn to Joshua 24, 22, just for a second. I love y'all. I love the fact that I could say it. You know where we're going. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourself. That you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses. This is a difficult thing to do, guys. But now that you have committed yourself to a James 1 kind of life, you said there's no other way to do this than by going through these steps, you've actually acted as a witness against yourself. Before God and before each other, you raised your right hand, a pledge to the heavens from your own heart, that this is what we have to do. You know, this is the DNA of this church. This is not anything new. I, the truth is, is maybe in other places that would be a whole sermon in and of itself. I really just wanted to lightly touch on that part of it because I feel like we're all in agreement with this. Let's turn to Luke chapter 22. <clears throat> the issue isn't us agreeing to things. If you're like me... Uh, you may be able to understand something and then it take a long time for you to be able to implement it in your life. You may intellectually ascend to something. Yes, I agree with that. Well, how do you do it? I have no idea. Again, we're, I'm a little slow to, slow, slow to get some things sometimes. What today we're going to do is make sure that we are uncovering areas in our heart where we say that we agree with the Word. Yes, I will do exactly what the Word of God says. And then we turn around and go out there we never count it pure joy. We don't want our faith to be tested. We're not interested in perseverance. And somehow we wonder why we're not mature and complete. Hmm. Luke chapter 22. Let's start in verse 28. <clears throat> it says this. You are those who have stood by me 
in my trials. And I confer on you a kingdom just as my Father conferred one on me. What we're trying to get to today is being worthy of Him, Jesus Christ, conferring upon you His kingdom. I, I, I want to read to you. There's a, um, a gentleman um, who, who wrote some very interesting words. It says, When the night has come, And the land is dark. And the moon is the only light you'll see. No, I won't be afraid. Oh, I won't be afraid. Just as long as you stand, stand by me. You know, the guy who wrote that, this is, this is I, I couldn't have made this up. This is hilarious, right? His name is Ben E. King. In Hebrew... The word for a son is ben. If you're going to say sons, you would say bene or ben with an e on the end. I can't make this up. This is fantastic. I got all geeked out by this this morning. So the son and the sons of a king wrote some interesting words to us. So darling, darling, stand by me. You know... This is actually what Jesus says here in this verse in Luke 22. Verse 28. You you are those who have stood by me in my trials. You weren't afraid. You didn't let the fact that the land was dark and the moon might be the only light you'll see to keep you from standing by him. It's neat how the Lord is starting to work on us in in these interesting ways. I want to show you... um, from the Law, Prophets, and the Writings. A way that we can make sure not only that we're standing by the Lord, but that we're uncovering areas where it may be hidden to us in the moment. Amen? Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 41. So we've talked about trials. We, we talk about trials a lot in this church. That's part of it. We have to be full of joy when the trials are there. We're actually, you know, if you've been here long enough, you have these crazy thoughts. You start sounding like a madman because you're looking forward to the trials that are coming. You realize they are confirmation of God's discipline, of, of him building something into you. You actually look at it like it's a great joy because you get to show your king how much he means to you. We, we fight through these trials so that our faith is tested. Let's take a look here at Deuteronomy chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 41. Say there when you're there. There. Then you replied, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord has commanded us. So every one of you put on weapons, thinking it is easy to go up into the hill country. Okay. This is uh, in the title of this section, which I didn't go back all the way to the beginning of the section, is Rebellion Against the Lord. So the children of Israel are we're, we're going over a story that how they've rebelled against the Lord. <laughs> We've even sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight as the Lord has commanded us. Hey Amen. That sounds really, really good. 
So every one of you put on his weapons, put on the full armor of God. We're ready. Thinking it was, it is easy, thinking it easy to go up into the hill country. Uh, is that preaching to you yet? Ever just, man, I came down to the altar. I heard Miss Joe give a perfect word in due season, exactly expressing the heart of God. I came to the altar as, as, the, as the praise team was ushering us into the heavens, declaring his holiness. I put on my weapons and I, and I got up from the altar and I wiped the tears from my eyes. And, and the truth is, as I turned around and I thought it'd be easy to go ahead and fulfill what he just told me to do. Hmm, interesting. There's always a lot more difficulty because it's part of the trials. It's part of our faith actually being tested. But the Lord said to me, tell them, do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. They made declarations in the verse before. We're going to go fight. We're going to go take them. Put on our armor. Give me my sword. Let's go. Um, You might want to tell them that they're not supposed to do that. Do not go up and fight because I will not be with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. Well, that's not very nice of the Lord. That's not very kind. So I told you, but you would not listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command and in your arrogance, everybody say arrogance. Arrogance. You marched up into the hill country. Can I just encourage you? Everybody look at me for just a second. You don't need to write notes on this. I just want you to look at me. When you do not obey the Lord, you are arrogant. When I do not obey the Lord, I am an arrogant man. No matter what I think of myself, no matter what you think of me, no matter what I think of you, we are in the height of arrogance. Uh, But pastor, uh, we we have our weaponry on. And we're trying to go advance the kingdom. Doesn't our intent count for something? Apparently your intent still makes you arrogant. Because we look at it and what are we trying to do? Because what is going on here? Verse 44, the Amorites who lived in those hills came out against you. They chased you like a swarm of bees. There might be many things in the world that I would like to be compared to. I want to be righteous and be like bold as a lion. Yeah be strong as an oak. Yeah. I do not want to be chased like a swarm of bees. That is not one of the metaphors that I want to have applied to me. Oh, wait, but it gets worse. And beat you down. <laughs> Love the word of God. Yeah. Anybody ever gotten beat down? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Beat you down from Seir all the way to Hormah. You came back and wept before the Lord, but he paid no attention to your weeping. And turned a deaf ear to you. See, the problem is, is that we get in these cycles here. And we think, I'm just going to put some of these on the board so they can rest with you as we move on to other things. So here in Deuteronomy 1, what have we really done? We've tried to divert ourselves from God's actual instructions. We've diverted ourselves. God told us to do something. And we just thought it'd be better if we just did something else. Wow. 
Now, I, I, I know this is, you know, this is difficult on us, right? Let's, let's, make, this, uh, let's make this right at our level. Uh, parents, have you ever talked to your kids and said, it is time for you to go clean your room? You need to go clean your room now. Do not come out of your room until your room is clean. Right? And what do they do? They go in there and, Mom, I made you a card. <laughs> You're the best. I love you, Mom. You're great. Oh, you know what that is? That's arrogant. It's arrogant for them. It's arrogant for us. When the Lord of all creation tells us to do something. I know, Lord, that you said that I was supposed to do this. But you know what? I, I got a great idea. Uh, spouses. Dear husband, please go to the store and get this one item for me. I need this item. I just need it. Would you go please get that for me? Yeah, babe. I love you. I'll go get it. And you go to the store, and you bring back 17 items. And you're like, here, here's my offering to you, dear bride. And she said, did you get the one thing that I actually needed? Yes, but look at all the great things that I brought to you. You know what that is? It's arrogant. It's, it's arrogant when we do these things. It's arrogant when we stand there. And the problem is, is we don't feel arrogant about it, though, do we? We actually feel noble. Let, let's go the other way. I, I gave one where the husband messed up. Let's, let's have, let me step on everyone's toes. My dear bride, I want a sandwich. I actually want a sandwich. I've thought about this. I've considered it. I want a sandwich. And moments later, no, hours later, Someone comes back and has a beautiful, well-plated, looks like it should be in a restaurant. Here, hon. I actually wanted the sandwich. This is what I asked for. You, my lovely bride, you have worked very hard. And what I wanted was just a sandwich. Could you just bring me what I actually asked for? You can't amen too loud now. That's why I expect it to be quiet in this part because all the men should just be like. Psh. The other one, we can all amen and laugh, <laughs> poke at each other. I got it. I expect this one to be fairly docile and quiet. It's okay. I get it. I'm here. <laughs> it's actually arrogant. It's actually arrogant to think that the person that you're talking to, for you to ignore them constantly. Now, this has happened as a parent as well. I've said this before, and my phrase has been, let's just presume that dad actually knows what he's talking about. And if I asked you something, that's actually what I meant to ask you. So you may be trying to help me. But let's just presume, let's go, with the better, let's go with the better thing. Let's go with obedience here. Let's just do what was requested of you because the truth is as parents, as spouses, as children, when we get in the habit of not actually listening 
to authority in our life and thinking that we can help them, what you start doing is you do the exact same thing to the Lord of all creation, and He calls you arrogant. I was just trying to help, Pastor. You're arrogant. I can't actually love you if I don't tell you exactly what the Scripture says. It's an arrogance that thinks that you know better than what was just asked. No matter how noble our desire may have been. We see here, it also goes to something like this. The Lord lays on your heart to give a $500 offering. I'm not doing this because I'm trying to milk anyone for money here. I'm it's 5000 The Lord tells you to give an offering of $500. But you know what? It'd be fine if I just brought 200 I mean, look, I, I mean, other people are giving. I mean, we have elders in the church, and, and I mean, we have pastors in the church, and you know, I saw someone else put something in the, in the offering box, so it's probably okay for me, too, to just... Yeah, I know the Lord said... Anytime you start diverting, what we're doing is we're pretending to obey. When you divert, you're just pretending. You're, you're dressing it up nicely, but you're just simply pretending. We have Deuteronomy 1 that talks to us about diverting or pretending to obey. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 24. Y'all still love me? All right. Whether you do or not, I'm going to go on. 2 Chronicles chapter 24, and we're going to start in verse 17. 2 Chronicles 24, 17. It's worth me waiting because you'll want to read this. After the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and paid homage to the king, and he listened to them. They abandoned the temple of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and worshipped Asherah poles and idols. We lose a king, and people immediately turn to satanic practices. Because of their guilt, God's anger came upon Judah and Jerusalem. Although the Lord sent prophets to the people to bring them back to him, and though they testified against them, they would not listen. Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, the priest. He stood before the people and said, This is what God says. Why do you disobey the Lord's commands? You will not prosper because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. Look at the next phrase in the next verse. But they plotted against him, and by order of the king, they stoned him to death. By order of the king, they stoned him to death in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. So Daniel 1 teaches us that we have to be careful that we don't divert. In 2 Chronicles chapter 24, you know what we learn? We have to be careful that we don't demolish the word of the Lord. In this case, they literally killed the messenger 
They killed the messenger. You know why they're trying to kill the messenger? You know what happens when someone gives you, comes up and gives you bad news and you don't like it, and so you want to disparage them? You know what happens when, when a pastor says something to you and it just grates you wrong and you want to belittle them in every possible way? Do you know why you do that? Because when you can demolish the messenger, you get to demolish the message. You're trying to discredit the message. Turn to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23. Look at verse 35. <clears throat> says this, And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. You know, the same spirit that killed Zechariah is the same one that kills Jesus in the New Testament. Now, um, here's where the personal application comes in. It's hard for me to say that we've crucified Jesus. We know that our sin did it. We, We know that those things... But as we stand, if, if you're here and you've, you're actually walking in the kingdom, then it's hard for us to think about us murdering Jesus at this point. But do you murder his words in your life? Does the Lord tell you to do something and you just decide you're not going to do it? That cycle of Christian growth from trials to testing of your faith to perseverance to maturity and completeness, and then it starts all over again and you continue to go? Are there things that the Lord tells you and you just decide that they're just too hard? This Christianity thing, I mean, why do you guys do it this way? This church is so serious. I mean, I agree with what you say. Not like I've ever heard these things before, right? I agree with what you say. I just don't like the way that you say it, Pastor. And that's my problem? Is, not, is that not showing a murderous heart in you that you want to kill the message? You want to disqualify? You want to demolish? Let me just demolish everything about you. Let me pick a red herring and, and harp on that instead of actually what the Lord has actually said because the truth is, is I know that you're right and I'm feeling guilty and instead of just repenting, I decide it's easier for me to murder your words. I decide it's easier for me to murder your character. I decide that it's easier for me to murder your call. I'm actually going to refute a call of God on your life because you said something that actually moved me inside. Let me help us just for a minute. One of the things that I am always working on is, Lord, don't let me hear a word and presume that this has nothing to do with me. Oh, man, pastor, we're behind you. We agree with that. Preach that. Yeah, this is part of the preaching that. Do you do that in your own home? Do you discount wives? Do you discount a husband's instruction to you because you've already murdered his character in this area? You always, you never Are we murdering the words that someone says? Are we trying to demolish 
what they think even before because the truth is, is we're guilty and we know it. It's moving us in our very soul. And instead of just yielding to it and saying, Lord, forgive me, let me run to the altar, we stand in opposition to it. We murder the words of the people around us. It reminds me of in the garden, the Garden of Eden. We're trying to, where they were demolishing. What demolished the word of God to Adam and Eve? Eve sat there and the serpent encouraged her with this one question. Come on, did the Lord really say? When you allow a question like, did the Lord really say to demolish and undermine? So here's what it realistically looks like, right? Maybe you guys don't sit here and overtly demolish us. Most of those people tend to not stick around very long, right? So the Lord tells you to do something. And so what you do is you start rationalizing it. You start thinking about it. You start um, trying to get a few moments to gather your thoughts here. And what happens is over time, it wasn't even like the person who felt like they should give something and lessened it. You knew that the Lord told you to do something and you just didn't do it. Well, they don't need that. Well, I mean, who am I to do such a thing? I'm sure the Lord didn't actually ask that of me. Who am I to stoop to such a low level? Whether you feel like you're Moses or you feel like you're David, you decide, you pick a side, and you just don't actually do what the Lord said. What you've done is beyond arrogance. It's murder. You have murdered the will of the Lord in your life. For what? Because of your insecurities? Sorry, wrong word. Let me, let, me, let me pick another word. Because of your sin? Hmm. The Lord tells you to do something. The Lord tells you to get more involved. The Lord tells you and shows you someone that you need to go repent. Uh, you need to take, you need to leave your gift at the altar and go and repent and clear things up. And you know what you do? You just talk yourself out of it. You talk yourself out of it. We get to be really, really, really good if we're not careful at talking ourselves out of exactly what the Lord says. He said it. We should turn around and do it. Yes, pastor, we know this is life-changing ministries. This is all we talk about. Yeah, you know what? And we still don't do it very well. We still, as a group of people, collectively speaking, yeah, let's, let's change it from that too. You and me, we're quick. We'll discredit either what the Lord said or we'll discredit and murder our own calling in that. Either direction. And sometimes the truth is it depends on the topic. After Wednesday night's message, the, uh, the more I thought about it, the more I went, yeah, sometimes I'm Moses. Yeah, and sometimes I'm David. I can be Moses and David on the same day. I can think myself too high and miss the foundational pieces. I can think myself too low and not rise up to what God is calling me to do. Lest you think that this is not about you. How many of you were here Wednesday night? Wow, most of us. Amen. What a great church. Pastor Eric ended the sermon at the altar and gave us a charge. What do you need to do to put into practice? What do you need to change in your life? What one thing can you do to respond to the word of God? 
I asked you right now to stand up. If you accomplish that, my guess is, is that we wouldn't have nearly people stand, as many people standing as who just raised their hand. True or not? How dare you murder the words of the Lord? How dare I think that I can hear something in a church like this and not be more accountable, not less accountable? How dare I think, how dare you think that we can sit here and have God move upon our heart and we are genuinely touched and we feel his spirit and words of prophecy come forth to confirm and we don't go do something about it, you've, been, you've done worse than divert it. You've demolished it. And we get in the habit of it. Day after day and week after week and sermon after sermon which turns into year after year of us actually not doing anything and finding ourselves just fine because we keep hearing his word. We take his grace in our life as an affirmation that we're actually doing okay. His grace is just that. It's grace. It's trying to teach you how to say no to ungodliness. The fact that he just doesn't cut off his spirit from you the first time that you mess up is a sign of his greatness, not yours. Are you diverting? Are you demolishing? Turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. You're going to love this passage. My goodness. Y'all with me? All right. First Kings chapter 19, it says this, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. We sang today, Lord, we want your fire to fall down. Come on, fire, fall down. We're, we're, we're echoing back to First Kings 18. And Elijah calling fire down upon 850 false prophets. Not only that, he, he built an altar. And then he poured water on it again and again and again. And showed how the fire of God would fall and prove who's real. This is the next, this is the next story here, the next chapter. Now Ahab, the king, told Jezebel, his wife... Everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. I imagine if the messenger said it the way Jezebel said it, it was probably with clenched teeth and pretty intense. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. I will kill you. Um, so let's talk for a second. In the chapter before, he was actually in trouble of dying. There were 850 people. There were, there were prophets of Baal that he was taunting. Maybe your God's in the bathroom. <laughs> Maybe you should shout a little bit louder to him. Maybe he can't hear you. He's taunting them. One woman. It's interesting that it's not Ahab that comes and does this, is it? No. Ahab tells his wife. 
You know what Elijah did to us? Really? Little pansy. Jezebel, who is completely out of shalom, she's the one running off and making the threats. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. On one of the most powerful moments in the history of mankind, Elijah, the prophet of prophets, <laughs> the one who will come back at the end times, the one who there is still a chair at a Seder meal for. You know what happens? He just tucks tail and he runs. He was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert. Ever just want to get away? As a matter of fact, you don't even want those who are closest with you, who are supposed to be with you. I, 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 just, I just need to go be by myself. Perhaps it's because you don't want to have anyone actually see you in a weak spot. Perhaps there's some other motives going on that we don't even perceive about our hearts, which can be wicked beyond belief. He came to a broom tree, sat under it, and prayed that his life, that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. <laughs> I've had enough. No cartoons when you're growing up. It's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. All right, this is all I got. I have had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. If you were in our modern time, they would look at Elijah and say he was clinically depressed in that moment. <laughs> he withdrew. He slept. He just... I just <sighs> right? Do we get where we're just afraid of things so we run away? We'd rather go take a nap and then engage with what's before us. We'd rather go sleep it off because I'm tired. You know what the problem is? Is if it's your soul problem, no matter how much physical rest you get, it ain't going to work. You ever had plenty of sleep and you wake up more tired than you were before? Shows you this is not a physical issue. There's a soul issue. There's a spirit issue that's here. All at once, an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. Look at your neighbor and say, get up. Get up and eat. He, he looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. What we're looking at here in 1 Kings 19. <laughs> We've talked about diverting things. We've talked about demolishing. And here what we have is just... A detour. You know, I have to be honest with you as I'm preparing for this message. This is the, the best part about uh, being a pastor here in this church. The best part of sharing our lives together with you is um, I get to actually live these things. Sometimes moments, sometimes hours, but usually days before we get to come and present it. We're actually living these things. I know that there are areas where I divert. It's true. God has convicted me, and I'm going to be victorious in every one of them. There's times where I've demolished the word. I'm embarrassed to say that, but it's true. There's times 
that I do it and I don't even know it. That's how comfortable it gets with us. I don't even know that I just did it. And the Lord has to reveal, Lord, I'll, I don't ever want to demolish your words. What I want to do is demolish the arguments and the pretensions that exalt itself up against you. But you know the one I do more often than not is this one. For me personally, I detour. Let me just take some time. I just, I'm just, uh, I've had enough, Lord. I, I'm getting a little bit verklempt. I'm getting a little bit overwhelmed here. <laughs> just had to make sure you were with me. I, I, just, I, just, I just need to, I'll get there, Lord. I'm going to do this. There's no question in my mind or my heart about my obedience, Lord. I will do what you ask me to do. I just am not ready right now to do it. Wow. I, I'm going to do it, Lord. I really will, but I just am not committed to doing it now. You know what the problem with this one is? Is this detour... leads us back here. I start to detour and then I forget what he really said and it allows the enemy to get in there and I, now I'm no longer doing what he said. Now I've diverted to something else because I don't just do it immediately instead of running to do it like Philip. He, I, I'm going to run to do this. What I do is I, I just wait and I, I, I think about it and I try to give my emotions time to catch up and, and I have to get my will established to do it and the truth is, is all that time, that day, that two days, that three days, that week long, that month that just went by, what I've done is I've been sending that entire time and it pushes me to be prone to other things that may completely derail God's plan. I become arrogant and don't know it. I become murderous and don't know it. And it was all because I didn't just do what he told me to do exactly when he told me to do it. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> Let's look at verse 8. Do you know why these things come about in our lives? <laughs> these difficulties, these trials, this testing of our faith? 2 Corinthians 1.8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure. Is not Elijah sitting in a place like that? He said, I've had enough. I, I can't endure anymore. I, this is all I can take. So that we even despaired, that we despaired even of life. Exactly what Elijah is going through. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. God, Lord, I'm so far from being able to accomplish your will. You clearly messed up. I'm, I, this, I might as well quit because this isn't going to work out. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Amen. Total dependency on Him is not something that we can say, it's something that we must live. Amen. That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Turn back to 1 Kings 19 so we can finish up this story. And we can get to a point of closure. 1 Kings 19. Let's look at verse 9. It says this. He had gone back to the mountain of God. He had gone back. He had gone back to the mountain of God. There, there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. 
What are you doing here, Elijah? Well, I thought an angel came and told him to go somewhere. The Lord says, what are you doing? I've called to you and you're hiding in a cave? You're standing there being depressed? What are you doing here? Let me ask you the same question. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? Are you just mark timing through service after service? Continuing to divert and demolish and detour from God's plan? What are you doing here? Are you walking around in a constant state of depression because it just, you just can't seem to get things together? What are you doing here? Are the same sins beating you into, into submission year after year? Month after month? What are you doing here? Are you expecting great things but don't actually want to go through the trials and the testing and the perseverance that makes that happen? You just want to skip to the end? What are you doing here? This is the question that God asks Elijah. What are you doing here, Elijah? Um, do you think it's because God doesn't know what we're doing? Or he's trying to get a revelation inside of us about what we're doing? What are you doing? Every time you divert... You're arrogant. What are you doing? Every time you're murderous where you want to kill the words or the messenger or both, what are you doing? You want to be like Elijah and it's just too much and you want, to, you want to wrap everything up because you're still relying on your own strength. What are you doing? What are you doing here? Turn to Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1. And verse 5. Romans 1, 5. It says this. Through him, talking about Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him and for his namesake, we receive grace. Everybody say grace. Grace. And apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes through faith. So we've got our trials. We've got our faith tested. We've seen that on the board. Your faith is being tested. But really what I'm talking about when your faith is being tested, aren't I really talking about your obedience that's being tested? One of the things that, that we're working very hard to do is always give markers. How can you tell? Because we can sit in the service and say, yes, I should demonstrate faith. But how are you actually demonstrating faith or not? We've talked about ways on the negative end, but you know what we do? We need to have this faith that's shown in our obedience. That's why we're always pushing towards this. We're trying to make these connections for you so you see, oh, you know what? I've been thinking that I've been operating in faith. Yet my obedience is not what it's supposed to be. Therefore, I have not been operating in faith and cannot please Him. Right? Let's take a look at a few scriptures. Hebrews 13. We're going to have a few in Hebrews here that will help us on this. Hebrews chapter 4. Verse 14. Hebrews 4, 14, it says this, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Testing of your faith. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. When you're walking in obedience, when your faith has been tested and you have stood the test, you know what you get? You get confidence in the Lord. You know what the Lord is working on me and my family about? Confidence. You know what that means? We have to prove faithful in the testing so that we can approach Him with confidence. Turn to Hebrews 10, verse 35. Hebrews 10, 35 says this, So do not throw away your confidence. Don't throw it away. It will be richly rewarded. Look at the next verse. (laughs) If you don't think these things are all intertwined, you need to persevere. So that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. Doesn't that give you confidence? If you've done what, when, when you're, a parent, when you were a child and they tell you to do something and, and you hear dad drive up and you're like, hey man, dad's here. I've done everything that dad required. Yeah. You can be confident. Well, that's what he's asking of us. Turn to chapter 13. He wants to give us confidence. Verse 5. Chapter 13, verse 5 of Hebrews. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Everybody say, be content. Be content. Hmm. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. When you lack contentment, you're lacking faith that God is actually going to be with you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my easer. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? When you're doing this thing the right way and you're growing, we're not going to sit under a tree and say, look, I've just had enough. I can't do this. We actually can say with confidence, no, the Lord is the one that is giving me the ability to do what I cannot do by myself. He is fulfilling His purposes in me. He will continue to do this. I don't have to rely on my own strength. As a matter of fact, I'm forbidden to rely on my own strength. But this will get accomplished in me. Turn to Revelation chapter 3. And verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me. This is Jesus speaking in the church at Laodicea. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Everybody say refined. refined. This is what this process is, folks. This cycle of Christian growth is you getting more and more and more refined. Turn to Job chapter 28 because I want to share with you a Talmudic reference. Job chapter 28. We're talking about refined in the fire. Gold that's been refined. Job 28. Let's look at verse 17. Job 28, 17 says this, Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. You know what we're trying to get here, folks? We're trying to get into the Word of God because gold and crystal can't even compare with it. Gold and crystal. Here's, here's, let me read this to you. This is from the Talmud. He also used to say, The words of the Torah are as hard to purchase as golden vessels and as easy to lose as glassware. Gold 
and crystal. It's expensive. It's precious. It's something that's incredible. And it can be fragile. Precious. She cannot be estimated after gold and glass. He brings together gold with glass as golden vessels, when broken, can be repaired. But glassware, when broken, cannot be repaired. And what does it mean, and not in exchange for her vessels of refined gold? That the countenance of him who occupies himself with the words of the Torah and observes them shines as refined gold. But the countenance of him who occupies himself with them and does not observe them becomes as dark as glass does. Doesn't, doesn't that echo of Newer Testament passage? It's like you look into, you look in a mirror and you straightway turn and forget exactly what you do. When you hear and you have the word of God and you don't divert or demolish or detour, you are found standing beside him, you are with him, you are obeying him. You know what it's like? It's like gold. The more pure the gold, the more malleable the gold is. When you skim off things from gold, you know what the amazing thing is? It doesn't actually change the weight of the gold. It just makes it more and more pure. These things are going away without diminishing what it is. It's making it of more value versus the glass here. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. And verse... 30. And we're talking about how precious this is. Let me read to you one other quote from the Talmud. He also used to say, It is possible for a man to study the law continuously for 20 years and forget it in the course of two. This Talmud are rabbis and men that are discussing, they're having discourse upon the scripture. It's possible for man to study the law continuously for 20 years and forget it in the course of two. How so? If he has not gone over what he has learned for six months, he will pronounce the unclean clean or vice versa. If he has neglected to go over his studies for 12 months, he will confuse the sayings of the sages. In 18 months, he will forget the beginning of the tracks and in 24, even that of the chapters and finally will have to be silent all together. And then they reference this passage in Proverbs. It says this, 24, verse 30. I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall was in ruins. I applied my heart to what I observed. Folks, this is what we're trying to do today. We're trying to allow each of us to apply our hearts to what we've learned and learn a lesson from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come on you like a bandit. If you do not keep walking this out, poverty, the poverty of soul will come upon you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Can you put back up the slide for me, Joey? As we close... trials, the testing of your faith so that you can have perseverance and move on to maturity and completeness. What are some signs of maturity? 
I've shared with you before, simple things like, what's a sign of a healthy relationship? Well, one sign is, is how quickly you get over a disagreement, right? You can tell the health of relationship that way. Either you or them or, or the combination. Some signs of maturity, marks of maturity. When someone gives you correction, you implement the correction that was given you. You implement. You hear a message on a Wednesday night, have one pastor preach and another challenge you and another leading you into the presence of God, and you actually implement, you actually do what you were corrected to do. Sign of maturity. You don't talk about it. You don't just, hey man, we agree with you. High five. Wow, what a great message, pastor. It's not a great message if you're not doing it. I do not measure my messages on how many pats on the back I get. I measure, I'm required to measure by God if I have said what he gave me to say. And my heart's desire is that you are implementing what he says. That's a sign of maturity. You know another sign of maturity? If God says something to you, like Philip, you run to do it. There's no detouring. There's no diverting. There's definitely no demolishing because whatever he said, you are found in the next moment. You know why there are some of you here who did not do what you had committed and raised your hand that you would do on Wednesday night? What you should have done was got to it before you left the building. You run and do it, and if it could be completed in that moment, then that's when you do it, period. So that you do not make a commitment to the Lord and then treat it as if it were nothing. The last sign that I want to to share with you is this. Mature people have public repentance and private devotion. When you get those things backwards, where you have private repentance and public devotion, devotion, you are showing your immaturity. Why do you think we require, we want you to be at our house? You know why? Because you can see us just as we are. There's no privateness that we have about our lives except for our devotion. We want to develop, we want to have time in a prayer closet that you'll never know anything about. We want to have hours in the Word that we won't tell you about. You know why? Because it's a sign of immaturity. Public repentance and private devotion. Do you always want to keep your sins hidden from everybody? Do you not want anyone to know that you have weaknesses? Folks, we all know that we have weaknesses. Everyone else can see it anyway. Anyway. 